0: I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in am I'm Welcome to the Leadership I'm in Color podcast. My name is Jared Francis. I'm here with my good friend Mr. Brandon Taylor Brandon, How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Better with the music that's being played.
0: That is my jam right now. Uh, really excited about that. Want to welcome you all. I'm back and again, say thanks for joining us uh, again this week. Thank you for all the feedback that we got on our last uh, podcast and the last article that we um, shared. We're excited to continue the work to um, Day.
1: Today we're talking about white fragility.
0: And from a little bit of a different lens than maybe uh, folks normally talk about it. Uh, today we
1: want to think about the ways in which adaptive leadership fits into our framework for leaders in color. Jared, let's start the conversation by talking a little bit about adaptive leadership. Why did adaptive leadership have to be a part of this framework?
0: Adaptive leadership is a big piece of how I think about leadership and how uh, my practice works as a leader. So just in thinking about what it takes for leaders who are committed to equity to be sick, um There wasn't a way for me to think about it without uh, the adaptive thinking being a significant component of our framework.
1: I remember a few months ago you took me to an adaptive leadership conference and I was blown away. Um, I was really struck by the ways in which I personally had been thinking very technically about challenges that were coming up at work and even in my family
0: how is adaptive leadership particularly useful for leaders of color the place to start is to one just talk about what the adaptive framework is about and it's really about helping leaders understand that challenges or change comes along two fronts there is change that is adaptive and there's change that is technical changes that are technical are things we know the answer to i need to get these supplies to this place by this time what's the most efficient route to do that and then there are problems that are uh, adaptive which are harder because they're about changing the way that people operate changing the way that people think changing the way or influencing the way that they um, leave so it could be that getting the item from point a to point b is not an issue of what's the most efficient route we know that the issue is that the drivers don't feel invested enough to leave the route on um, time, or there are other issues that are preventing them. That isn't about how we know how to solve it, but really how we change uh, the mindsets and 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 be um, um Leafs. And so with that under. Um, Standing, what leaders in general need to know is when they're facing a challenge that is adaptive and what are the ways in which that you make that kind of change and when you're facing a problem that is a technical one and how you uh, approach that. I think for leaders of color in particular, adaptive thinking is really in, um, important as we think about the issues of how race and I identity um, show up in the workplace. and. I think it's really important to take a step
1: back and think about the article that was released prior to this one. So that article was about just knowing your personal narrative. How why do why do you have to know your personal narrative before you can think adaptively?
0: You got to know what your values are, what your beliefs are, and that's how you influence the culture in your org. That's how you invest folks. That's how you um, inspire folks. That's how you root yourself. As you can, you know, be pushed in different uh, um, directions. As you might face I'm doubt, being able to be rooted in what your narrative is, being able to be rooted in what your values are, is like your anchor as you go through to lead change. Because often the change you're going to be trying to lead really will be driven by and guided by the values that you have.
1: And something I struggled with a lot in thinking this way is it was easy for me to think about my own personal narrative, what my own values were, what my own experiences might be that led me to have the beliefs and values that I have. But it was really hard for me to do that with other people.
0: And that's key if you're thinking from an adaptive perspective. When the work is about bringing change and cultural change through people, through organizations and through systems. You can't do that work without understanding what people's perspective are, what their personal um narratives are. You need that because anytime anyone is making a change, there's a degree of loss that they have to go through, and as a leader, you need to be really clear about what's at stake for folks, what you're asking them to give up, what you're asking them to change. And if you can't key into that, you're going to make mistakes that trigger resistance.
1: And that resistance can take you out of the game.
0: Yes, uh, it's a phrase some people in the adaptive work will go as far as to say assassinate. When we talk about being taken out of the game, we're talking about having your agenda go nowhere. We're talking about you being fired. We're talking about people losing confidence. Like These are the stakes when leaders seek to make change and leaders of color are at particular risk Uh, for a variety of um, reasons that we speak about in the um, piece.
1: The risk being so much more for a leader of color that just increases the extent to which we have to think adaptively, we have to act adaptively. And so often I found myself, prior to my becoming familiar with adaptive leadership, uh, thinking that there was something wrong with the other person that I was engaging with, that they either did not know me or didn't understand me. And those that might very well be true, but I had to think about where is this person coming from so that I can think about what are the ways in which I can best support them and get them to either change their mindset or just think about the change that we're trying to implement in a different way. But I think another challenge might be, particularly with leaders of color, thinking that there's something wrong with them or other people thinking that there's something wrong with them. So I I know in the article you wrote, there's nothing is wrong with leaders of color. Why does that even need to be said?
0: For a few reasons. The first piece of this is leaders of color have to think adaptively if they're committed to creating equity both in their org and in the and in the world beyond their org. And what we know is there's not racial equity both in our organizations and in the communities that that we serve. And you have to make the statement that there's nothing wrong with leaders of color and for me that's like a reference to Ibram Kendi's work, and I would encourage folks to read Stamp from the beginning, his um, first book, and his most recent book, How to Be an um, Anti-Racist. He's taken to starting a lot of the talks he gives of saying there's nothing wrong with black people. And the reason that he's doing that is when we look at the world and we see racial in equity across a range of outcomes, housing, income, wealth, health education, you can determine a lot about a person's life based on their race. And there's only really two ways you can make sense of why racial inequity exists. You can have the belief that there's something wrong with racial groups and therefore some racial groups have really positive outcomes and some racial groups have uh, poor outcomes. Or you can believe that there's nothing wrong with any racial group, and if we see this disparity in the outcomes, it's about something else. It's about the systemic racism that exists. And so a common misconception, or uh, I think a common way that people get stuck is by zeroing in on racism around bigotry or individual acts that someone might take based in their bias. And those things might exist, but the system of persistent, of persistent racial inequity that we see can only be explained by factors that are beyond any individual act of bigotry and bias, beyond any individual person of a given race having the outcomes. It's about a persistent system and we call that racism and that's really what racism is. The policies, the structures, the state actions, the actions that may live in your org that keep reproducing racial inequity. And so we have to make the statement, there's nothing wrong with the leaders of color that work in your org, because when we look at who might be in the C-suites, when we look at who's getting the promotions in your org, when we look at the pay gap between managers and leaders of color and their white peers, these inequities exist and if we believe that there's nothing wrong with the leaders of colors that work in our org, then we have to say, actually, there's some systems and there's some structures that exist in our org that keep reproducing these in equities there. And it needs to be changed. It needs to be challenged. And leaders of color and their uh, white leaders who are their peers have to have to work to, to change those um systems. And that's where the adaptive piece comes in, because to change those systems, you have to really shift people's mindsets. You have to challenge ways that things have been done. And that's about change. And that takes adaptive leadership to get that done.
1: Ultimately, our goal is to be anti-racist, to work against the systems of inequity that we encounter within our institutions. Why aren't the technical solutions enough?
0: What we're seeing I think in a lot of places and from my perspective at least in well intentioned ways is technical solutions or technical uh, approaches to engaging and dealing with the racial inequity that lives in our org. So we see work like anti-bias and cultural competency trainings being done. We see a focus on increasing the share of Leaders of color in orgs. We see a focus on increasing the overall number of people of color and who work in our orgs. These are sort of diversity uh, initiatives that take 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 place. And I think these are important things that need to be done and need to continue to be done. But to what extent are they actually able to change the way people actually interact with one another? And to what extent are they changing the broader systems and structures with with in an org, so one of the things that Dr. Kendi talks about in in his book, there's no such thing as something being non-racist, right? Something is either racist or it's anti-racist. And what he means by that, a policy, a structure either contributes to racial equity, which means it's anti-racist, or it is racist, and that is contributed. In, and that is contributing towards racial inequity. And those are the dividing lines. And so any of the things that we can be doing to move numbers or focusing on sort of diversity issues in the, in a broad way might not be adaptive because they might not be changing the culture in your org. They might not be leading to policy level change, in which case they could just be technical. Their window dressing without addressing the deeper ways in which racism may be operationalized within your space.
1: I think that's why we see so often at so many organizations that an organization will increase the percentage of staff of color and that be temporary. Those leaders leave.
0: Right. Those leaders leave. The staff survey doesn't come back well because it's a focus on moving the number and not moving the people. And by moving the people, I mean moving and changing the way that they relate, the way they do business, the way they conceive of problems, the way that questions are framed. It's all of that deeper work. It's about the culture.
1: Right. And you have you can't shift a culture through technical solutions, through technical changes. It's about the beliefs that people hold, the values that people hold, the beliefs that ground an organization. And so how how do you shift that in the face of white fragility
0: well the white the white fragility piece um is important because from an adaptive perspective what we should expect whenever we're pushing change whenever we're leading people to question or revisit long-held ways that they do business or or beliefs or mindsets that they have there's a there's an expectation that there will be resistance in the context of Challenging racial inequity within an organization or within the world, a common kind of resistance is going to be white for Jilly, and I I encourage folks to read the book that Robin just 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 put out about that because it really breaks down ways in which white fragility will manifest. And let's talk about how that shows up in the context of work. It could, but. but
1: but Jared, before we even get to how it shows up in the context of work, you, you wrote here that white fragility, can, white fragility can be triggered by the mere existence of a person of color in leadership. So it, before you can even start getting your work done, you just being there can trigger white fragility. Talk about that first, and then we can, I think we can dive deeper into how it manifests after you've tried to make a change.
0: The most famous... Example of this, right, is Barack Obama. He comes in, he's run a campaign that is really like aggressively trying to not frame him really in terms of his race, right? He's not making a lot of explicit arguments around racial equity. He's talking about sort of a more uh universal way that the country needs to in improve. And even his coming into the presidency as the first person of color, there was a response from white politicians and parts of the white uh, electorate, which automatically felt under threat to him. And there's a lot of research uh, um, uh, um, about this. So his existence triggered uh, some fragility, either to say, we're losing our country. We're losing our way of um, life. There's some uh, research, and Ezra Klein speaks about this in his new book that just came out. The idea that when you tell white people during a study that the country is becoming a majority-minority country, what you'll find is their answers to subsequent questions about policy tend to become more con- um, conservative than they would before they had that for, um So what that tells us is even just the idea can be threatening to certain people's conception of what they are entitled to, of who they are, of what their country means, what their organization means.
1: So if my mere existence can trigger white fragility, how do I get my work done?
0: Through adaptive work. And so you're not going to do much about your existence triggering it in Certain folks, and I think people will experience that to varying degrees. The real place that you're going to start to see it, if you're a leader of color who's committed to racial equity in your org or in the work that your org does, that's going to start to show up as you start to name and start to challenge the racial inequity that exists.
1: And so I've been, at times, resistant to adaptive leadership. I've wondered why I should change and be adaptive in the face of white fragility.
0: I think the adaptive piece is not necessarily about you adapting, but the, wor- it's the, the adaption is in the org. It's in the culture. It's in the people that you are there to lead. And so the way this plays out is you could choose not to be adaptive, but from my perspective, you're choosing not to have a plan for what's going to come. None of us should be surprised when we come into our org and say, hey, I'm noticing that hiring practices or promotion practices are producing racial inequity in our org. We shouldn't be surprised when certain people say, no, that's not true, or, well, that has nothing to do with me, or make a comment about how qualified certain people are, right? That's going to happen, and so to be adaptive is to really plan for that because the fragility acts to shut down change. The fragility could show up as tears. So you're in a meeting, you notice and give feedback to another manager, um, something about the composition of their team. And that person might cry. And all of a sudden it's uncomfortable in the room and then you don't want to bring that issue up again. No one speaks about it. That wasn't, how we might think of as aggressive but the that conversation is now shut down the fragility might show up in someone coming back and saying this is becoming really divisive this is dividing our um staff we really need to be bringing people together right now the business is not in a good space that's going to shut down and uh Agenda And the way that leaders of color need to think about this is white fragility is a countermeasure tactic in a battle over change. It is going to show up. It is going to work to shut down efforts at change. And in its more extreme forms, it's going to work to marginalize the leaders of color or other um, white allies who might be trying to push the um, um, work. And if you don't recognize that you are in a real battle for the hearts and minds of people who are open to change and for what the culture is in your org, you're gonna get caught sleeping and get taken out of the game.
1: And this is ultimately what leadership is about, is being who you need to be for your team, being who you need to be for the community that you serve. And we all know engaging with white fragility can be cumbersome, but how are you setting yourself up to be strategic? So you gave the example of the team that you are offering feedback to about its majority white composition, for example. What what feedback would you offer to someone who wants to raise that point in an adaptive way?
0: You got to think about who you're Allies are. You got to think about your strategy for how you're going to do that. You have to think about how you communicate, where you could communicate to whom, when, and why. You have to take stock of what is your political capital in a given time. Another thing that we talk about in the article is knowing when to turn the heat up, when to turn the heat down. And so when changes doesn't come by just trying to go along to get along. Nothing will change. So when you identify an issue with the status quo, you got to turn the heat up. You got to make some people feel uncomfortable. The key thing is for you to be in internal control of how you do that. So in the situation that we're talking about here, you might need to name that in a team meeting. You might need to go to someone directly about that. People are going to get uncomfortable. They're going to get uncomfortable easy and that is fine you're turning the heat up as you move on you might do other things that turn the heat up you might present data you might um, gather more information you might learn some new things and then share it and confront people into um, visually if you notice in a when managers are talking about the perf- the performance of their direct reports if you notice the way that people are talking about people of color that there's some, you know, stereotypes that are tropes that are being brought up. You're gonna have to confront some folks about that and that's how you turn the heat up. At the same time, there might be times where you have turned the heat up and then you need to know when and how to turn the heat down. So people can stand a certain rate of change. The more you turn the heat up, the more resistance you should expect. And the way you know that it's time to turn the heat down is have you turned it up to a point where you or your agenda could get taken out of the game? Another thing to consider is internally in your org, you might be a leader of color who has some stature, who has performed well. Maybe people aren't able to move on your position, but what's at stake for other l- either rank and foul folks or other leaders of colors, you turn up the um, heat. Are they out on a ledge that you might not be able to give them some cover from? Who is gonna give them the cover that they need? That might be an indication that you need to turn down the um, heat, which doesn't mean moving off your agenda, but it might mean you don't bring new things onto the agenda at this point. You might delay those things and see your current uh, initiative that you're trying to push or change through. You might need to not be the person who's naming things and hope that a white ally or a co-conspirator can start to name some of these things, right? It's ultimately on white people to change to change racism and recognize that it doesn't work for them, and so that burden doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to just be held by leaders of color as well. It has to be broadly uh, shared.
1: We as people of color have been engaging with white fragility before we likely ever knew (laughs) the term. Um, But, and it's an experience that can be debilitating. That first time you address an issue in your community or an issue in your org and you're met with tears that can not only like debilitate you, but can maybe debilitate others and make folks who were once allies no longer allies. Part and parcel to engaging in this work is also the self-doubt that comes with internalized racism. How do we confront that internalized racism that is part and parcel to living in the society that we live in and encounter and confront white fragility
0: at the same damn time? Not an easy task. And I think the piece about Confronting internalized racism starts with our with ourselves. If you are a leader of color, what are the beliefs that you bring to the table about other people of color, and how you talk about their performance as you make sense of what the racial inequities might might be? Uncovering your own mindsets is really hard hard work, and we shouldn't. Again, mistake that because we grew up in or are raised and work in a racist uh, um, society, that the impact is just on whites, the impact is on us, and it 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 requires us to do some unpacking, sort of first starting with ourselves. And then in the same way that we need to confront our white peers, there are going to be times where we need to confront other people of color that we work with about some behaviors or some mindsets or some practices that they have or some language that they might use. There's been a lot of things done over time to divide racial groups, even uh, people of color uh, amongst the um, children. so it's important to recognize that racism harms everybody. It exists in ways to divide us, it, it, it exists in ways to replicate systems that keep certain groups in power and with resources and certain groups not to have those um, things. And so there's work on the planning for and preparing to engage right for um, Jilly and there's similar work to plan for and engaged internalized racism that starts with our, ourselves and then can extend out to other people that we work with.
1: I imagine we have a few white listeners right now. What would you want them to know, I'll answer too, about
0: white fragility or internalized racism? I heard this phrase. I wish I knew where it came from. I am... The idea of, folks will say, a co-conspirator really resonates with with me. So if we recognize racism as a system that reproduces racial in. Equity. What's helpful is someone who wants to conspire with you to change that, and by conspire, it means you're not cheering me on as I do it. It means you're giving me cover to do the work, or you're doing the work yourself. So, if I as a leader of color, I'm turning up the heat, are you bringing data to help me turn up the heat? Are you engaging your white peers in similar conversations? say say same same same? It's not enough to after the meeting be like, I'm really glad that you brought that up or I really appreciate what you're bringing into the space. What has to be done is something more, which is you are taking actions and steps to identify how racism is existing within the org. You are taking on risk to change that. That's what it means to be a co-conspirator. And so that's where I would encourage any of our white listeners to think about what they can do if you're not taking on risk if you're in a situation where only the people of color are taking on the risks it's not really that helpful at all (laughs) no so where where i think we
1: come to i think this is a, a really great opportunity for you to talk about your leadership in color this week really strong parallels
0: my leadership in color in this week comes from i think i mentioned this on the first episode of our show my team has been doing some work where we're having someone come in and facilitate some conversations amongst our staff about race and after the session i sent some questions to my staff about can you identify ways in which either white fragility or internalized racism has inhibited your team from being able to reach their goals or to collaborate. And it was maybe like a provocative thing to do, but it was important to do for for me because it's time to turn up the heat in our case. In our organization, there's like a good amount of trust. People appear to be open to having these Conver, um these discussions as a as a team and i'm really interested in turning up the heat to talk about how's your internalized racism show showing showing up one of you engaged in white for um jilly and you know as the leader of the culture and of our team i was in my message to our staff i was able to draw a line which is to say this level of interrogation and thinking is like a requirement to be on our team. I'm not negotiating uh, about that. I've been clear what my values are and how equity is a value of mine and how this work is really valued to, to me. And you're going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to be uncomfortable as we think about things. And I'm able to take on that that risk because I feel that my team is ready for it. and I feel secure in my leadership. So from an, a, from an adaptive perspective, I know there were people who were uncomfortable with me saying these things, and I'm okay with that, and it's my job, and it's our team's job to help support them through, through that. Brandon, how has your leadership in color shown up this week?
1: There are a few opportunities that I neglected to have a conversation with a chief executive about. And I got some feedback from a leader of color that I really look up to about what a missed opportunity that was. She reminded me of a line my parents used quite a lot growing up that closed mouths don't get fed. I mean, I thought a lot about the ways in which internalized racism shows up in me and my work and and all of us. I didn't think that was a conversation I could have. I didn't think it was a conversation I was in position to have. And so um, in having that leader raise for me that I need to go have that conversation. It's for the best interest of myself and others to have that conversation. And it reminded me just how important it is that we have like OGs, that we have homies, that we have just other leaders of color who embrace us, who love us, who give us the feedback that we need, who give us the support that we need to go on every day because internalized racism is a real thing. White fragility is a real thing. This work is not easy. And so I think that's why we do this podcast so that we can give those leaders of color who need some support, who need some inspiration, the drive that they need to have that conversation with the chief executive or have the willingness to push forward an agenda that they're uncomfortable with. So thank you to all those who are listening and thank you to all those who um, are supporting other leaders of color because
0: it's important work. Critical work. And you know we don't do this work uh, alone. It's really important to have a community uh, around us of like-minded leaders of all races who are interested in doing anti-racist work and committed to making our organizations and our world around us a more racially equitable place. And with that, um, we're going to head on out. I want to thank you for listening. I want to encourage folks to go to leadershipincolor.org, sign up for our upcoming newsletter. We're really um, excited about it. And we got another article and episode coming next week. Thank you for listening.